You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So really quickly, I know a lot of people were interested about what the heck was going on yesterday. I'd mentioned on Twitter that there was a email. I didn't say it was an email, but I got an email um, from the people who help run my podcast network. And you got to understand, right? Because I think people maybe misunderstood some things. Maybe I made it sound like something it wasn't. I don't know. But I had just got done talking to my half-Mexican lawyer about how unbelievably done with this weather we are. If you're not in Wisconsin, my wife told me yesterday, I think it's been 10 straight days of either rain or snow, first of all. So barely seen the sun at all. The last nice day we had was the first day that my daughter left for Florida. Because I remember it was like 70 degrees, and I was thinking she left at the worst possible time because it's beautiful here now. She came back Saturday and was gone for two weeks. So it's been at least three weeks of n- since we've had nice weather. And I keep checking the 10-day forecast, and there's no nice weather. 10 days, nothing. It was supposed to be this Sunday. It's not this Sunday. The next time it's going to get nice is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but it's going to rain for those three days. And then it's going to be cloudy the next three days after that, and it's also going to be a lot colder. Um, And then 10 days from now, a high of 44. Low is in the 20s. Today, it's going to be in the 30s and snowing. So that's, that's what we have to look for. So completely, completely, completely done with it. And I get an email. And it's from Reggie, who helps me with the network stuff, finds advertisers, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, hey, this opportunity came across. Just curious if you'd be interested. And it says that they are um, looking for a sports podcaster. By the way, these people had asked to be advertisers on my show initially, which I already said no to. But I got an email that, hey, we're looking for someone to uh, fly out to Vegas, give you your own special uh, private booth, and you will do a live NFL draft stream for a draft party hosted by Terrell Owens. And I'm thinking... I can't, you know, this is, I've gotten some cool stuff from sponsors, but you're talking about vacation. I mean, now, now you're talking about, we're talking loyalty now. I will be so loyal to you. (laughs) But of course, because it was just the universe mocking me, the event is being hosted by, as I said, somebody that had asked to be an advertiser previously, which is the um, largest gentleman's club in Las Vegas. It's just a promotional event for them that they're that they're hosting. And so obviously I cannot do that. To be honest, I don't know if I would want to go to Vegas either way, but it's still, it's just, you know, it almost felt like the world was coming together to be like, let's cut the guy some slack. Huh? Let's, let's get him out of here. Here's a plane ticket. Go host a live draft event somewhere warm. It's going to be great. That's, that's not what it was. And I think the universe is still chuckling. I can hear him cackling up there. It's not funny. 
universe thinks it's funny. So anyways, um, that's all that was about. And I was, I was crying about it yesterday. I didn't need to publicly whine about it, but I was just, I was so (laughs) annoyed. So thanks to everybody that was like, we got to make this happen. But, um, you know, as you can understand, it's not like a money thing or a family thing or anything. It's just a, I, I'm not doing that thing. I don't want to do that, period. But I want to, you know what I mean? And I spent so much time sitting there going, you know, maybe I misunderstand what Gentleman's Club, I mean, it says club, maybe it's like a, uh, like a place where you go golfing, you know, or like a sweet restaurant. It's possible. Like, do I want to say no before I'm 100% sure? Maybe I could convince them to do it somewhere else. Like, I know this is your business, but what if we just did it at a nice restaurant somewhere? You know what I mean? You could hand out flyers to your uh, whatever it is you do, and I'll just be at the restaurant across the street, just crushing it. But no, anyways. So as a result, um, I am now canceling all fundraising events for these GoFundMes, and will be starting my own GoFundMe to uh, send me to, uh, let's call it Sarasota, Florida, for the draft. Because helping people is important, but it's not as important as getting me out of here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not canceling the events. Anyways, um, on the docket for today, Brandon Cooks has officially agreed to a two-year extension with the Houston Texans. So, you know, it's it's like I've been saying, it's not impossible they do something in free agency, but I think if there was a good fit out there somewhere, it would have been done a while ago. It's not that the Packers aren't willing to do anything. Maybe if they can get the right price, they might settle on something, but it's really just starting to feel like there's really nothing here. And of course, once the Brandon Cooks thing got signed, you got Ian and everybody else out there talking like, oh, I always knew. Well, then maybe you should have said something, jerkwad. But anyways, that is officially going out the window. And listen, any kind of trade that involves getting rid of our draft capital, I'm, I'm just generally not interested in, especially if that also includes us spending a bunch of money that we really just don't have. So I, I think if they're going to pick somebody up, it's going to be someone that you really are not super excited about. And um, it's really just to kind of help with depth or whatever the case may be. And I don't think that's going to be exciting even for me either, because you know my stance on if you're going to bring somebody in, make them at least better than the guys we have. But at this point, I don't know. I don't think there's anybody out there, honestly, that I know for sure is going to be better than, than Alan Lazard. I mean, again, unless we're talking about a major splash signing or, or trade or something, which I just don't think they're going to do, I think you're getting sub-Lazard players. Now, there is also just a depth issue. I mean, we, we didn't just lose Devontae, we lost Lazard. And so we're talking about just a complete lack of, of bodies. So it is possible they had a body, but that's, you know, nobody cares about that. So it's not worth even exploring. Um, but since we can't ever stop this um, having something to get excited about, like five seconds before Brandon Cooks agreed to his two-year extension, stuff started going down with Debo Samuel. Two days ago, he puts on Twitter in all caps, oh, okay then. And then yesterday, stories start emerging about how he wiped all his social media of anything San Francisco 49ers related. Just wiped it. Now, the obvious conclusion is this is a common ploy that fans or that uh, players are starting to do now. We saw it just very recently with Kyler Murray, the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. And, and it's just a matter of demonstrating that I'm unhappy, right? It just ramps up the pressure. I'm sure they've been having talks. I'm sure his agent has been talking to the 49ers, but everything's been kind of covert. It's all been, you know, we want money and the 49ers are not on the same page and all this stuff. And so the agent says, let's just ramp it up. We got to go to the next level. And the next level is the, the easiest way to get massive amounts of attention is to tell Debo, wipe everything. 
Because then everyone assumes you're just like it was just this irrational, like I'm so angry. I'm going to it's a pre-planned thing because what's going to happen? People are going to notice, obviously. And um, so it's meant to be like secretive, like I'm not making an announcement. I'm just so angry. I'm secretly doing this. But of course, people are going to notice and it's going to spread like wildfire. And what's what's spreading? The rumor that Debo Samuel is really, really unhappy. The, the rumor that he's going to leave. And it's also probably going to ramp up phone calls. You're going to have a bunch of teams calling the 49ers like, dude, what's going on? Is he available? Because I, you know, we we got some picks here. I got some, I, I can find some money. Like I can get a second job. We'll figure something out, man. Like what's going on over there? And it just puts the pressure on the 49ers. The fans are wanting to know what's going on. The media is talking about it. And these, these battles end up becoming PR battles. At some point when you're not able to come to some kind of an agreement, you try to get everybody on your side. And players are usually going to win that because teams like to keep, you know, things kind of close to the vest. And players, they don't care. They can do whatever I want. And of course, you're going to have 49ers fans freaking out like, dude, pay him. What are you doing? Now, obviously, I don't know this to be true. I mean, anything is is possible. Maybe he is just genuinely disgruntled. But you got to understand, this is the last year of his um, of his deal. He was drafted in the second round, so there is no fifth-year option. So um, he wants that big extension, and he wants it before the season starts because he doesn't want to risk any kind of injury or anything like that. I mean, anybody on their last year of their deal. Plus, it's not even just that. I mean, the guy is, is one of the premier wide receivers in football, and he's set to make under $4 million this year. Now, I know for you and me, that's, that's obviously a great deal, but I mean... He's watching this insane wide receiver market, which I don't know if it's going to stay this insane forever, but this is an absolutely insane wide receiver market where guys are making mid-20s. And so he's looking at that going, hey, I want my $25 million contract. I mean, you got a 26-year-old who's, you know, not too long ago was in college just dreaming of a day when he might be able to make money, and now he's a premier wide receiver looking at making 20-some-odd million dollars a year. Plus, you know, when you sign that contract, I don't know how the 49ers structure their contracts, but generally your signing bonus is going to be massive. It doesn't have to be, but either way, I mean, Devontae didn't get a massive signing bonus, so the Raiders don't do what the Packers do, but it was still $20 million. Just, just, And that's the thing. Like, It's not, here's your salary throughout the year. Here, here is a check for 20. This is a guy that has, doesn't have $20 million that's going to get a check for $20 million. And that's the thing, like you are immediately set for life on top of you got all these guarantees, you got the money trickling in, Devante, his base salary is going to be $3.5 million. So I mean, he's got still some money coming in. He's got a roster bonus of almost a half a million dollars, $100,000 workout bonus, miscellaneous $250,000, whatever. And then of course, your base salary, I mean, if you structure it that way, your base salary goes up every year. So he's going to get $6 million the next year, plus has a $20 million <laughs> roster bonus. So he gets another massive check the next year. And again, this this is not how most of these contracts, I think, are structured. He's probably going to get just a bigger initial signing bonus. But that's, that's what Debo and his agent are fighting for right now. They don't want to leave the 49ers. I mean, they, they may be putting the pressure on, like, dude, I will leave. But he doesn't want to leave. He just wants to get paid, and he wants to get big-time paid. And the 49ers just don't want to get swept up in this whole massive wide receiver frenzy. I mean, if I'm the 49ers, I'm thinking, let's just, let's hope this this market kind of cools a little bit. Maybe after this year when everybody drafts a wide receiver, like things will calm down next year. I don't know. Not that you want to really take it that way, but I'd like to sign them now so you don't get into this big tussle and potential of losing them and everything else. But that's that's what this is. Um, so I, I don't think there's any reason to believe that he's actually disgruntled. Again, maybe, but I really doubt it. I mean, that, it would just be stupid on his point, on his part. You don't have your big, just get that first big contract under your belt. Then you can be diva wide receiver. Get that, you know, set for life money. Technically, he should already have set for life money, but let's just say he doesn't. So um, that's what that's about. And I, I would actually expect them 
you know, within the next several months to be able to work out a contract. Again, at least with the Packers, it's usually around, you know, around the start of the season, a little bit before it starts. So they'll probably be looking around that time to get something done. So the the, the point is, no, I don't think there's going to be a trade for Debo Samuel. Anyways, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive back into the draft. I solicited Patreon, by the way, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can join in for as little as $1 per month, and that'll get you all these Q&As and stuff. As I said, um, the board should be relatively done relatively soon. Um, it's going to be updating because, again, I do use things like RAS, which I just added a bunch more. A lot of these scores are, because what I do is I just plug in a six, because I got to have something, otherwise your number is just way down. So I just plug in at six. So there's guys with nines that are going to launch them up. There's other guys with like 3.2s or whatever. But I've been slowly adding that. There's also um, adjusting for rank. And the rank, obviously, the consensus big board ranks keep changing. So I will be um, updating that as we get closer and closer. So maybe by today, probably, let's just say by the weekend, um, people in the $5 and $10 tiers will be getting my big board. Um, The $5 tier will probably just be the um the board just here's the rank and the grade and then the $10 tier will be a little bit more I'm not going to show the whole formula and everything else but it'll have the specific grades you know out of 10 for each of the categories something like that or I'll come up with some kind of a some kind of a thing but um very excited about how that's going in fact that's I'm I, the biggest problem I have with that with doing all these kinds of projects like when I did my GM rankings and all that stuff is I'm way too much of a perfectionist the problem is there is no way to use numbers to perfectly project how good a player is going to be, right? There, there always has to be that level of film evaluation. There has to be meeting with guys and understanding their mentality and all these. There's so, and even that isn't enough. But the problem is I can't accept that when I'm going through it. I'm like, well, that's not good enough, and this isn't good enough. So I need to just get over that. I need to get it done, get a really good ranking. And then because I don't have time, then work on for next year, modifying it and improving it and all that kind of stuff. And I am, I am very excited to start working on 2023. I know nobody else cares about it, but now that I have this kind of set up a certain kind of way, um, I'm very motivated to get to work on 2023. Anyways, let's start off with uh, some of the Patreon questions, comments, concerns. Jason says, I'm trying something unusual this year. I'm going into the draft blissfully unaware of who anyone really is. That way there's no chance I can possibly be disappointed in the picks in the picks unless they fail to produce over time. I hope we bolster our receivers, but won't lose my mind if it's uh, on day one. I think, I mean, that's very similar to what I'm doing, but I think that is the right strategy. I really do. And again, fan how you want to fan. That's that's your deal. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with having prospects and, and taking it very seriously of why you like or don't, don't like certain people. But you got to understand, as I've said before, we have to come to a point when the draft starts where we kind of turn that off or acknowledge that we're kind of just playing, right? We're playing at NFL GM. We're playing at NFL Scout. We don't actually know. And so although we can have certain levels of excitement or disappointment or whatever, nobody, including Brian Gutekunst himself, really knows how good these guys are going to be. And really, we won't know for about three years. And even then, there's outliers where it takes more than three years. But by three years, you generally have a good idea or a relatively good idea of whether or not something's panning. I mean, even if you look at Devontae, we had no idea after three years that he was going to be anywhere near as good as he is. We didn't. Like, that was when he started to turn things around, like, oh, I guess he's competent. Never in our minds did anybody think this is going to be a number one receiver someday. Which, again, is why the whole Amari Rogers thing is like, you guys are just crazy. 
and again, I mean, it's it's one thing to have an opinion of what I from what I've seen. I don't like it, or for whatever reason, I don't like. I mean, that's fine. I mean, you can you can guess, but again, we we have to be able to separate between guessing and um, my opinion and and allowing it to make you you know feel physically upset because being physically upset about something that you're just you're just playing at is silly. I mean, you're taking yourself way too seriously. You believe in your evaluation skills way more than you should. Goose says, do you believe any of these rumors that uh, two or to three quarterbacks could go before 20? Um, two, absolutely. In fact, I would probably be willing to bet money on that. I probably shouldn't because who knows? I mean, it's such a weird draft this year. It really is. And I do think it's a weak quarterback class, but I also think there's a lot of quarterback needy teams. And I think there are two quarterbacks that are generally seen as as comfortably prior to pick 20, right? Now, if you're talking three, I don't know about that. But I think Malik Willis could very well go in the top 10, not because he's worth it. And, and by the way, it could be Kenny Pickett too. I mean, it, it absolutely could be. That's very similar to depending on what kind of style you want, right? I mean, to be completely honest, a lot of times you get the like athletic kind of Baker Mayfield-y, Kyler Murray-y guy that ends up going early. And it's kind of the boring prospect that goes later that ends up doing well, like Josh Allen, like Mac Jones, you know what I mean? Like the boring stand in the pocket, really efficient, really talented passer, like go figure that guy ends up being pretty good. Whereas like the super flashy guy that runs around a lot and sometimes has really flashy throws and is just kind of flashy at times. And you kind of hope that he turns those flashes into like consistent play. So yeah, it's not impossible that Kenny Pickett goes earlier, but then you're talking Desmond Ritter and Matt Corral. Um, which again, maybe, maybe somebody really likes him, but I doubt it. It's possible somebody goes before 28, but I don't think 20. And to be honest, if I had to guess, I wouldn't be surprised if a team's tra- a team trades up into the first round just so that you can get that fifth year option on either Matt Corral or Desmond Ritter. Matt Corral is currently consensus ranked 33 overall. And to be honest, at 28, the Packers are a potential target to trade back. In fact, let's play with that for just a second. Who are some quarterback needy teams that might not be taking a quarterback in the first round? First of all, um, well, you, you do have Detroit at 32, but I think Detroit at 32 is a reason to possibly trade up. They're not taking a quarterback at two. There's some rumors that they might. I really, really doubt it. They have too many needs and there's too much talent sitting there at two. But you might be thinking, or another team might be thinking, Detroit is is definitely looking for a quarterback and they may be taking one at 32. So teams may want to trade up. Right, Cincinnati and Kansas City are the two teams that are before, you know, you got two Chiefs picks and then a Bengals pick. They're not looking for quarterbacks. So you've got Detroit sitting there at 32. So who are some of the other teams that may want to move up? Probably not the Giants, because I think they're sticking with their guy, but who knows? I think 37 with Houston is a possibility. You got the Houston Texans who are picking at three, which again, I think is just too early, unless they trade back and possibly get some more stuff. But I think they're possibly in a spot where they may be looking to move up. Now, maybe it's it's a little steep, but maybe we could get a third round pick. Maybe we get their third and have to give something back. Um, otherwise, they do have two early fourth round picks. That isn't quite enough. So maybe it would be like a fourth and a fifth, although they don't really have a fifth, but whatever. They can work it out somehow, some way. That could potentially be an option. Would I like that option? Not necessarily. I don't really want to move back one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine spots just for a third round pick. Because I, as stupid as it is, and as much as every time I see it, I 
the logical part of my brain says you guys are being silly with this whole third round pick thing because it is illogical. Obviously, there's there's nothing. I shouldn't say there's nothing. Maybe there is something, but there's nothing I can see that would make me believe that we actually have an inability to draft in the third round. It's just, you know, it's a small sample size and it's a coincidence, et cetera, et cetera. And to be honest, I mean, I think beyond the second round, Brian Gutekunst does not have a really good hit rate just in general. Plus, there are two third round picks that I have not given up hope on. Josiah DeGuara and Amari Rogers. Josiah missed an entire year, came back. He's been battling a uh, pretty deep tight end room, not necessarily super talented, but deep. And he's slowly starting to progress a little bit. So I haven't given up hope entirely. You guys know I like him a lot. Big DeGuara fan. And obviously Amari. I mean, I'm not going to call him a bust yet. And so we're talking about what, like one guy, two guys who are not good. I don't even think on the team, but whatever. Um, Another very prominent uh, trade candidate is Seattle. They have two picks in the second round, 40 and 41. And I actually think that works out pretty well. If, If we take their, let's say, pick 41, that's not... Um, that's not the worst option to be able to get through a third round pick at pick 72, which is a pretty early third round pick. So we would end up with three second round picks and two third round picks. And honestly, if, if we wanted to, we could take that second that we got from Seattle and our third, if we wanted to get out of there and move up to the top of the, um, of the second round, if we had a trade partner, I mean, we could get up to pick 33. Again, that obviously depends if Jacksonville wants to move back, but that would put us ahead of Detroit and ahead of Chicago. And again, we still have uh, two more, um, two more second round picks. So we'd have the first pick in the second round, two more second round picks, and still have Seattle's early third. We're only giving up our late third. So um, I think that's something to keep an eye on. I'm, I have no doubt in my mind they're going to be getting phone calls about teams trying to trade up into that round. It's just a matter of whether they want to trade back, which is going to depend on their board. And again, it, it does line up pretty nicely with Green Bay kind of being you know, one of the teams you need to to call because again, Detroit's on the clock. And I don't, I don't know. And if I had to guess, they're not looking at any of these quarterbacks, but if you're another team, you don't know that. And you know that they're a potential team to, um, to take a quarterback. Um, in terms of just kind of, you know, what are the odds that a, a quarterback does go? I think it would have to start early. I mean, we're talking at, if there is a shocking pick with Detroit at pick two, then we're talking about maybe. Maybe a team ends up being desperate enough to take him prior to pick 22. You know, you do have Houston at three, but I doubt it. Maybe if they trade back, then you're thinking, okay, maybe, they're, maybe they are looking at taking a quarterback. Although, again, if you, if, if you have a quarterback you like, I think the general rule is you, you don't ever, you just, you, you just take them. Um, the Jets, I don't think they're giving up yet. Again, I don't think the Giants are doing it, but maybe that could be another shocking thing. Carolina at six is absolutely a candidate. And, and again, if that's, if that's the thing where Malik goes there and Carolina wanted a quarterback anyways, I mean, that is sort of a, a place that a lot of people are circling for taking a quarterback. So two potentially could be gone at six. Again, unlikely, I'm guessing one is gone by six and it's Carolina. But if that's two, then you're looking at Atlanta, Seattle, um, Washington, Minnesota, Houston, um, maybe Philadelphia, but probably not. New Orleans is generally seen as a team that's going up for a quarterback, but I just listened to a podcast yesterday. They're saying, I don't think that's the case. And they made a pretty good argument for it. It seems ridiculous, but you know, let's just say maybe New Orleans, Pittsburgh is another team. So there are a lot of quarterback needy teams. So it's not impossible. And it just takes one to like a guy like Ritter or Corral, but I would put the odds very, very low. 
So that's my general thought on that. Uh, Brian says, I remember after the DeGuara pick, you mentioned that University of Cincinnati runs an offense very similar to LaFleur. Do you think that same logic makes Pierce more appealing to the Packers? Well, see, I don't, I'm, I'm really bad at that kind of stuff in terms of, of understanding scheme and all that. I don't actually know what Cincinnati runs. The only thing that I noticed was that when I watched DeGuara, he was doing a lot of things that our tight ends do. It really just had a lot to do with like motions. I don't know if I can extrapolate that out entirely to a West Coast offense. Maybe it is. I don't know what other offenses might be doing similar kinds of concepts. And so my assumption is that. But I also don't know for sure that Cincinnati still has the same coaches and offense and everything else. Let me just Google it real quick. So Luke Fickle is their head coach. He has been the coach since 2017. So presumably they're running the same offense. He is a longtime Ohio State guy. He is a defensive guy, so the question is about more of the offensive coordinator, I guess. That would be Gino Guidugli. Uh, Here's what he had to say about running his offense. He said, each year there's going to be, this is when he got hired, so they were asking him, what kind of offense are you going to run or whatever. Each year there's going to be an evolution based on our personnel, and I think you're going to see similarities in it. I like to play a bit more pace. I think we've got to find some ways uh, in the run game to continue to get the ball in the perimeter. I think our screen game, we need to call it more, but in order to feel confident about it, and instill confidence in our players in it. We've got to practice it more, rep it more, get better at executing it. But those are things I think that'll, uh, whatever, we're not going to all of a sudden become the Tennessee Volunteers and run wide splits and go tempo. I think we're built for what we do. We're going to rely on our offensive line, particularly next year with all those guys back and run the football. Kind of sounds like a, sounds like a Shanahan-y kind of guy, doesn't it? <laughs> the tight end position figures to continue to play a major role in what Cincinnati does offensively under such and such. Both tight ends Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor have elected to return for another season. Again, sounds packery. Those two guys are going to be a huge part of our offense, he said. I think we've got to do a better job of personnelling some things with those two guys and playing to their strengths and not ask them to do things that are outside of that. But I think our 12 personnel package, one running back, two tight ends, last year gave people some fits, and those guys' ability to run and catch the ball is obviously a matchup issue. So again, I don't know. It doesn't just say we run a West Coast offense, but it sounds similar, right? We, we want a stout offensive line and some big tight ends in there, and we want to make tight ends more of a focal point of our, our team. By the way, great question coming up about that. I get the general impression that it is a similar style of offense. And although wide receivers weren't mentioned, you have to assume if you run a similar style of offense, you generally ask the wide receivers to do similar things. Primarily, if you really care about being stout and running the ball well, your wide receivers probably are going to be a little bit bigger and asked to run, to run block a lot. You know, it's it's something that you probably practice and you probably drill. You're you're going to be a part of the run blocking in the run game. So I would I would venture to say yes, although I don't know to what degree. Let, let's at the very least let's say I don't think there's going to be any form of incompatibility. Oh, actually, the question I really like is meant for another show. <laughs> Darn it, they got all the good ones. Uh, Andy says, "Are Buffalo or Tampa Bay really in the hunt for a wide receiver? Where should Green Bay get a safety?" I I would assume everybody is to some degree, in on wide receiver. I can't really think of a single team. I mean, you, you've got um, the Dallas Cowboys who had two prominent receivers that drafted CeeDee Lamb early, like at pick 10 or something. Buffalo obviously has Stephon Diggs, and they just paid him a lot of money. They've also got Gabriel Davis, who took a pretty big jump last year. Um, it was a fourth-round pick in 2020. But would they continue? Of course they would. Um, is it a main priority? Not really, but... Um, you know, anytime you can add to your arsenal, especially a team that is just built around destroying people through the air, which Josh Allen has, has just turned into an absolute monster. I don't think it could hurt. You know what I mean? 
especially if you get like a slot guy. I mean, right now they've got uh, Jamison Crowder in the slot. Could you imagine if they added somebody? And again, it's it's not a, a number one priority. I think they've got bigger needs, but just envision with me for a moment, if you will, if a guy like Traylon Burks falls to 25 and Buffalo takes him there. Could you imagine that? You've got sort of your speed guy, you've got Stephon Diggs, and then you've got freaking um, Traylon Burks to do all this other crazy stuff, just a, a run after the catch guy. Again, it wouldn't be my favorite pick, but it, it, it's still one of those things that you look at and go, oh, come on, man. And anytime you can make everybody that's trying to beat you go, oh, crap, it's not a bad pick. You know what I mean? And as far as Tampa is concerned, I, I think so. I mean, they they were a team that had three top end receivers. Even last year, I mean, you've got three guys that rated in the top 32. Um, Godwin was ranked 11th. Uh, Evans was 30th. And even Russell Gage ranked 32nd. So... Um, do they need it? Is it their biggest need? No. Are they afraid to just load up Brady with as many weapons as is humanly possible? No. And that's another one where, you know, potentially a, a slot guy, whether that be Jahan Dotson or a guy like Traylon Burks or whatever, whatever style that you're looking for, I would assume that's probably more of a uh, Jahan Dotson type. Brady kind of seems to like that kind of stuff as far as your, you know, Edelman's, the quick shifty slot guys. Could I see that? Yes. So, Generally speaking, I can't think of any wide any team that's completely out. I mean, even even the Vikings, even though I think they run a lot of just two wide receiver, um, would they be completely out of the conversation? I don't think so, especially when you look at possibly a replacement number two wide receiver. Do I think they're doing that with their first pick? No. Do I think they could eventually add a wide receiver? Sure. As for the second part of the question, where should Green Bay get a safety? Somewhere between rounds one and seven. <laughs> I mean, if we're just basing it on need, I, I would say probably not first round. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of concern because we could certainly use a third safety and Adrian Amos probably isn't going to stick around for very long. So it's a bigger need than people are saying. Is it the top need? Is it is it, you know, a need to where once you get your primary thing taken care of, your second pick would be a safe? I don't know. I mean, again, if we're just basing it on what I think are bigger needs, I would say offensive line and wide receiver are bigger needs. After that, potentially defensive tackle. And then maybe after that would be safety. I don't. I don't know. I haven't actually laid it out in my mind. But that makes so. So maybe you could say based on that criteria, in the second round, or just say somewhere in the first two picks. But you know, I, again, I'm not going to really look at it that way. I think if if the best player available on your board is a safety, if you can, and that's the thing. I mean, you're just looking to add studs, man. You're never going to be upset about studs. I mean, we don't really need need a pass rusher. We kind of do in terms of depth. If we could find some depth, that'd be great. But if we get an absolute stud, just an absolute freak, are we going to be mad about it? I'm not going to be mad about it. Um, trying to think of another position that we just absolutely don't need, which really there aren't any. I mean, wide receiver, guard, tackle, defensive tackle, edge rusher, linebacker, safety, corner. Corner is a perfect example. Do we need need another stud corner? No. In fact, I don't even know what the heck we're going to do with any more guy. But if we get another Jair, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to cry about it, dude. We'll figure it out. You know, if Jair has to go in the slot, because we got to just complete stud and Stokes really just becomes a star and we just have three like number one cornerbacks on the field, I will freaking get over it. So the, the bigger question is less about position and more about can you just get us a stud? And that's what the Packers need to do. I mean, even if yes, even if quarterback, definitely don't want that to be the case. I don't want to deal with the drama of it. I don't want to deal with any of that. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that. I, 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 it would be great for the show. Let's put it that way. But my, my mental well-being would struggle a bit. But I mean, just be honest. I mean, if, if the guy end up, ended up being a star, would you be mad about it? No. If the guy was a complete stud, we'd be okay with it because we know we're set. And if we have to move on early from Rodgers, then we move on early from Rodgers. 
mean, the point is we're going to let Rodgers play and this guy sit as long as that guy's willing to sit until he starts standing up saying, you're either going to play me or I'm out of here. And then it's like, okay, you win. Bye, Rodgers. Bye-bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Love you. Miss you. I'm going to go to the Raiders. You want to be with Devontae? Be with your buddy? And then we'll do one more question. It's Andy again. Andy's got about five questions in here. Um, Andy's always great for, for questions. We'll do one more and then we'll take a break. And then we're going to kind of go back to my sheets, I think. But we'll get these questions at a later date. But Andy says, what is the highest jump in the first round you'd do? The highest jump is, would be the, to package the two first round picks and move up. And again, according to the Rich Hill trade chart, which as far as I know is the most accurate, I know there's the Jimmy Johnson trade chart, my understanding, and I'm planning on actually doing kind of a, a study on this. I'll have this probably not today because I want to get done with this, um, my big board and everything, but w- very soon, hopefully within like a next, the next week, kind of doing a study, going back and finding out which one is most accurate. But Jimmy Johnson is the sheet that apparently teams use. The Rich Hill chart is was a revised version. He kind of used data to find out, you know, to make it more accurate. And then I found out there's a third one out there that like PFF, some data scientists did, um, which is wildly in- inaccurate in terms of projecting what teams will do, but it's based on the actual value. In other words, this isn't what teams do, but this is what these picks are actually worth. And based on that chart, trading up is the dumbest thing you can ever do in your life. For example, based on that, which really it means these picks are worth whatever this player is going to be worth. If we trade both Raiders picks, they have us going up to about pick three. So us taking like pick 14 with those two picks, according to that is, is terrible value. So according to them, always trade back. But anyways, those two picks, according to the Rich Hill chart, if you take 209 plus 253 is 462, the value of 462 gets us to about pick uh, five. Picks five and six in that range. Pick five is worth 468. So... But I don't really think that would happen because the Giants have two picks here, and I doubt they give up pick five, and they don't need to trade back for more picks. Carolina probably looking... Oh, I guess that's the question. Is Carolina looking for a quarterback? If so, they're going to stay and pick a quarterback. Um, if not, then yeah, they might want more pieces because they you know they need more pieces, although probably just take one of the offensive linemen in there. So I don't know if there is a, a trade partner, maybe Seattle, but that's giving up too much value. They'd have to give us something back at pick nine. But I mean, it, it just depends on on the prospect. You know, again, if, if they trade all the way up there for Trevor Penning, am I going to be sad? Yes, I'm going to be very sad because in my mind, it's like, shoot, man, I really we, could, couldn't we have given up the two Raiders picks and gone to 14 or whatever. But, you know, the point is, in their mind, if they're trading way up there, let's say to pick nine to get a guy, it's because they believe he's a top five prospect and we have the capital to go up and get a top five prospect, which the Packers never have. When we had Rashawn Gary, that was about as high as we've we've been in in a very, very, very long time. And even that was probably just like a, you know, in the, on their board, a top 10 prospect. Maybe it was a top five prospect. I don't know. But, you know, again, for me, it really just comes down to value. And if the Packers do it, it's because they believe it's it's an incredible value. I mean, I don't think they trade up to pick nine or pick five or pick six because they think he's he's valued at a pick six. It's because they this is a top three player on their board. And, you know, personally, I would love more picks. I, I'm fine with the two that we have. If we got to move up a little bit, fine. Maybe use one of the second round picks, although I love having two second round picks. I'd rather you use a third round pick if at all possible. That gets us up, by the way, to about pick 17. That's not terrible to go from 22 to 17. And in that range, I mean, you, you've got sort of that. Th- this is Death Valley for the Packers, by the way. Baltimore, Philly, New Orleans, Chargers, Philly, New Orleans, right? I mean, as far as like Trevor Penning, you know, offensive tackles, wide receivers, defensive tackles, edge rushers, like the, our needs, that's, it's just Death Valley right here. Baltimore is where Trevor Penning is expected to go. And you got two New Orleans and two Philly picks. And, and again, 
I don't know that Philly trades up or that New Orleans trades up. I think they might sit here. Same with Philly, to be honest. And just adding the Chargers for good measure, potentially taking like a defensive tackle or something, or, or maybe a wide receiver. It's not impossible. So that is a that is a rough spot. So with the third round pick, we could potentially get up to 17. Using our second round pick, we can get up to around, you know, 13, 14. Um, and using our two first round picks, we can get, you know, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. Would I be willing? I guess. Again, I like more picks. I like more prospects. I like more opportunities and more swings. But in terms of asking me how high would I be willing to go, would I? Be, yeah, I mean, again, based on what they're projecting and what they're telling me, this is a top five prospect. Am I okay giving up two first round picks for a top five prospect? Of course, because ultimately, what are we saying? What did we get out of the first round? Right? What did you get out of the first round? I would like to get two players, but if you're telling me we got one of the best three to five players in the entire draft in the first round, am I going to be upset? No. I'm not. So anyways, uh, why don't we take a break here? Remember um, the two real GoFundMes that we have going on, um, aside from the one that I made up in my mind. The Jamie and Carter Accident Fund, we're looking to raise again. We're very, very close to closing this one out. We've raised $9,040 out of the $10,000 total goal. If you've got a couple extra dollars, it would be great. If not, if you could just do me a favor and just share it. It is pinned to the top of the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. We've got We've got 2,400 people in that group. So, you know, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things where if everybody gives 50 cents, everybody in that group gives 50 cents, which I know isn't even like a thing, I don't think. Maybe it is. I don't know. Call it a buck. We're done. Or if everybody in the group or a good portion of the group just shared it, shared it with your friends on Facebook, share it somewhere, anywhere. Um, I think we can, we can get to that final goal. And then again, on Twitter, we've got um, trying to raise money for Drew to get his seizure service dog. We've got about $3,400 left to raise for him to be able to get that. Um, these puppies are, are getting big and they're getting trained up and, and ready to, to help them out. I don't know the exact date of when these dogs are going to be ready to go, but it would be great if once they're trained and ready to go, um, we could have one ready for him to, to, uh, to get his dog. And so again, if, if you can, it's pinned to the top of my Twitter. Give whatever you can. If not, if you could just do me a favor and share it around. Just to help get the word out, that would be fantastic. So, um, Also, do not forget about A Modern Frontier, a great place to get your uh, some high-quality meat. I've been ripping through my meat like crazy, just basically making a ton of like hamburger meat and stuff. Last night I had tacos, which was just glorious, and so I'm, I'm ripping through that pretty quick. I refuse to make my steaks until the weather's nicer so I can go outside and just, because I, I, I mean, it just has to be a, a, a wonderful experience. Just has to be. I'm not going to do it when it's cold and dreary and garbage. I mean, there's way too much anticipation at this point for that to be a thing. I'm going to do it up, man. I'm going to get the charcoal going on the on the on the Weber. I'm going to get some of that herb butter. You know, I'm doing it right, man. But anyways, um, go check them out. Use promo code Meatpacker, one word, all caps. You get twenty five dollars off your order. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I don't know who or how or when or where, but somebody had asked me about a comparison of some of the players that we have drafted and where they would rank in terms of my current ranking. So I want to just, first of all, run through this. Right now, I have wide receiver, tight end, defensive tackle, edge rusher, linebacker, corner, and safety all done. So defense is done. Safety, my safety rankings I really like because really it's just a matter of can I get the values to where everything kind of makes sense? And right now my rankings are... Lewis Seen, Jaquan Brisker, Kyle Hamilton, Jalen Petrie are my top four. Daxton Hill is down at seven. Two interesting notes about safety. Um, number one, I plugged in Darnell Savage to see where he would rank on this. Darnell Savage comes in at number six. So similar, one spot ahead of Daxton Hill behind these four guys, but similarly ranked. Every single one of these guys, by the way, um, is ranked in the 80s. So uh, nobody is super, super elite. I don't have Kyle Hamilton super elite, which it's going to be hard to do that. He didn't really grade out super well. Um, his passer rating was, was always really solid. It was one of the better you know aspects of his game, 42.3 overall passer rating, which really helped him. But there wasn't a ton else. And if you look at, well, he's super, you know, he's got the relative athleticism of 9.3. Yeah, well, Jaquan is 9.09. Lewis Seen is 9.92. So, you know, Daxton Hill, 9.03. So he doesn't exactly pull away with that. But on this scale that I currently have, the highest graded is 84.14, Jaquan is 83.9, Kyle is 83.7, Jalen Petrie is 83.0, Darnell Savage is at an 82. So all very close. Daxton is down at an 80. No, I'm sorry. Darnell is at an 80, Daxton is at an 80. Question is, do I have a guy for you to check out? And the answer to that question is yes. And it shouldn't surprise you. It is another guy out of Cincinnati. If they, the, the bottom line is Cincinnati had a very, very good defense. And for some reason, nobody wants to talk about it because <laughs> they have some really, really, I mean, they, they had a very dominant defense. And aside from Sauce Gardner, I mean, it's like nobody else wants to acknowledge anybody else. But Brian Cook out of Cincinnati is my safety five. He is sandwiched right in between Jalen Petrie and Daxton Hill. And by the way, I don't have his RAS. 
So it's very possible because I have him at a six that he could actually be, he probably is higher than, than a bunch of these guys, potentially even the top guy. I mean, if I give him a, a nine, he's safety one on my board. So what makes him as good as he was? Well, again, Cincinnati, very big program. Highest um, overall defensive grade of all these top safeties with the exception of Jalen Petrie. Very high run defense grade. Coverage grade was uh, highest aside from Jaquan Brisker. Forced incompletion rate, 18.9%. Second highest behind Jaquan Brisker. Passer rating of 51.9. Um, relatively high. I mean, he's, in, he's got some tough competition with all these guys, but higher than Lewis Seen, at least, and on par with about the rest of the guys. Snaps per target was the second best after uh, Jaquan Brisker. Snaps per reception was the highest, aside from Jaquan Brisker. If you're noticing a pattern, Jaquan is clearly the, uh, the coverage guy of the group. Snaps per reception was the highest, aside from um, Jaquan Brisker. His missed tackle rate was the, was the second best behind Kyle Hamilton. And so he's, he's basically like number one or two in just about every category. The only category where he ranks the lowest is his overall rank grade, which just means that he's ranked lower than everybody else. But in every single metric, he's, he's way up there. Now, that's not overall in terms of all the safeties, but in comparison to the top guys, he's like number one or two in just about every metric. And that's statistics and that's grades. So if you're interested in another homework assignment, take a, check out Brian Cook in Cincinnati. In fact, just watch Cincinnati's defense because apparently that's, that's just... That's just where you want to go if you want to find um, gems for defense. Looking at um, cornerback, this one was really difficult to get the rankings to where at least it makes sense with the current group. I do have Sauce Gardner as my... Now, by the way, um, I have very few 90s, which I said I'm kind of proud of. I have two guys in the 90s. Uh, Ahmad Sauce Gardner is a 93.7 overall grade. Derek Stingley, a 91.5 overall grade. Derek Stingley, who I haven't been big on because, as I said, he wasn't good since his rookie year. Apparently, that's not entirely true. He didn't really play this past year very much, so you can't knock him for that. So I used his 2020 grades, which even that, his grades are not that spectacular. In fact, his uh, overall defensive grade is a 72, which is very low. His run defense grade is a 66, which is really low. His coverage grade is a 71, which is really no low. He still ended up with a 90 overall grade, partially because he, he literally broke my scale. When I looked at his snaps per target, uh, snaps per reception, his grades out of 10 were like 11 and 12. So I had to readjust my entire scale just to, to encompass what he was able to do. The next highest graded guy I have is an 83 overall grade. So really, it's, it's Ahmad Gardner, Derek Stingley, and then just nobody else. The next two highest guys I do have are both out of Washington. Trent McDuffie, I've got, who is cons- uh, pretty much a consensus next best on the list, 82 overall grade. But I actually have his, his uh, compatriot over there at Washington, Kyler Gordon, slightly higher. I mentioned this on Twitter. It's possible. You know, sometimes you have that these guys thrive because they're like the number twos which is always possible. I mean, you could have that with Ohio State and Olave too, right? He's basically the number three on that team. I'm sure that doesn't hurt him in terms of going up against lesser competition at corner, but, you know, we don't usually dock him for it. And, I, and again, that's one of those things where my perfectionist brain is like, well, we should probably figure out if it's nope, 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 we're not doing that. This is what he did, and if you want to dock him in your own mind, you go ahead and do it, but I'm not doing it. But interestingly enough, him and Trent McDuffie are almost identical down the line. I mean, obviously with... Um, rank and strength of schedule, they're pretty close. But defensive grade, 87 compared to 86. Run defense grade, 79 compared to 78. Um, Coverage grade, both of them were 89. Forced incompletion rate, 15% to 16%. Passer rating, 47.52. Snaps per target, 8.6 to 8.0. Snaps per reception, 17.3 to 17.9. I mean, these guys are like identical. The bigger difference is, again, passer rating, uh, 
uh, Kyler Gordon, 43 compared to 47. Missed tackle rate, um, 8% compared to 11.5%. So of these few differences, um, Kyler Gordon does tend to be a little bit better. Trent McDuffie's slightly more athletic, but you got 9.69 compared to 9.38. Again, they're, they're very identical in just about every metric. So again, I do have Kyler Gordon slightly higher. Um, interestingly enough, a couple things. Um, if you're looking for kind of a sneaky guy that you maybe haven't heard of that you should check out, the guy on my list that is sort of the next highest is uh, Jalen Armour Davis out of Alabama. He is currently top 100 on this list, so he's not that crazy of an outlier. Um, but again, not a name that pretty much anybody has heard of that I'm aware of. But I currently have my board Ahmad Gardner, Derek Stingley, Kyler Gordon, Trent McDuffie, and then Jalen Armour Davis out of Alabama. Um, on my board right now, he currently has an 81.09 overall grade. Of the other guys still in the 80s, Mario Goodrich of Clemson and Alante Taylor out of Tennessee. Now, again, interestingly, no, I don't have Andrew, Andrew Booth is down at 17th, Kair Alam 22. And if you're interested, uh, I can maybe elaborate, but they, they have some pretty bad marks in several categories. I did plug in Eric Stokes and Jair Alexander, and I found this actually pretty interesting. Jair Alexander compared to this group is one spot after Jalen Armour Davis. He has an 80.7 overall grade. So again, nine guys with 80 overall grades. Jair is on that list. Eric Stokes, however, is third. It's Ahmad Gardner, Derek Stingley, then Eric Stokes. Now he's not way up in the 90s. He's at basically an 85 overall grade. But again, that's that was pretty cool to see. So I think in this draft class, you're kind of looking at Eric Stokes as like a mid first round pick and Jair Alexander is sort of a late first-round pick, you know, 20s-ish or whatever. Wherever Trent McDuffie is supposed to go, it's kind of in that range. Trent is currently at about 22, so mid-ish first, I guess, mid-late. Looking at linebacker, I don't have a single 80. The highest I have is Leo Chennault at 77, almost a 78. Um, the, the biggest obvious glaring issue is his coverage ability. Um, and it, considering how important that is, I really did try to drag him down in my rankings, but he's just so high in everything else, it was impossible. And so the only way I could have done it was to weight coverage to a point where the only thing that matters is coverage, and I just didn't want to do that. I mean, I would have had to have brought it to the point where being a run defender is useless, and, and that just seemed kind of silly to me. And again, I, I weighted it really heavy. He stayed at number one. And, and the, the best thing I could have done is destroy my rankings to the point where they're useless. And still, Leo Chanel ends up probably being number two, maybe number three. So I decided to leave it. Um, again, no 80s. There were four guys in the 70s, and that's about it. Leo Chanel is number one. Again, his coverage is, is pretty bad. Um, his coverage grade is a fi- uh, 56, which out of uh, 62 linebackers, Leo Chanel is 49th. Um, that's pretty terrible. Passer rating, he ranks 44th out of 63. So, I mean, that, that is an issue. And I know a lot of, a lot of Badger fans, Packer fans that also want Leo Chanel or whatever, or just general Leo Chanel fans are saying, well, they just didn't use him in that capacity. But what I'm telling you is when they used him, he was bad. <laughs> I just resorted my board and that is not the order anymore. I don't know exactly what I did. Maybe I change something here. I don't know. But anyways, uh, according to my new rankings, it is no longer Leo Chanel. He's third. Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean are number one and two. James Houston, the fourth, is also a guy to keep an eye on out of Jackson State. Very, very small school, but he ranks really highly. So if you wanted to check somebody out, he's he's graded very highly. But um, apparently now with these, <laughs> with some tweak that I did, it's Devin Lloyd, Nicobe Dean, and Leo Chanel, Chanel which is... Um, more of what people expect anyways. Uh, Devin Lloyd and, and uh, Nicobe Dean are much more solid at doing both things. 
run and pass. The heck did I do? I swear Leo Chanel was at a 77. Now he's at a 72. <laughs> I don't know. I broke it. But the only other interesting thing is the, the only other guy with a 70 is Channing Tindall out of Georgia. So um, again, another top 100 guy. It's not like nobody's talking about him, but I have him higher than Chad Moma, Damone Clark, and Troy Anderson, who are generally, and, and Christian Harris and Quay, Quay Walker. In fact, Quay Walker is another Georgia linebacker. I have Channing Tindall higher than him. So um, I know a lot of people have talked about uh, Darian Beavers and whatnot. If you haven't checked out uh, Channing Tindall, you should probably check him out. He plays for Georgia, so obviously he's an athletic freak. Um, nine six seven RAS. I would say he's probably more of a coverage guy than a than a run defender, but he's not bad as a run defender. And again, if if you had to, that's kind of like being an offensive tackle that's not bad as a run defender, but is is more of a pass blocker. It's like, well, that's kind of what we're looking for, to be honest. But uh, phenomenal tackler. He's one of the higher graded uh, as far as missed tackle percentage. He's got an eight point five out of ten. So another guy to check out. I mean, that Georgia defense is always fun to watch. Uh, you you got to sift through all the other linebackers. They have three of them to watch, so you might as well just watch all three of them while you're at it. Edge rusher I've already talked to you about with Alex Wright and everything else, but I will mention I did plug in Rashawn Gary. Um, as you could probably expect, he didn't rank very high because, uh, you know, as we know, his um, college career was not super great. It's why a lot of people didn't really like him. He was just a ball of potential. Well, he ranks 14th out of this group, um, right between MyJ Sanders and Jeffrey Gunter. Interestingly enough, I mentioned to you Trayvon Walker is ranked kind of low. He's at 18th. So if there's more reason to actually like Trayvon Walker, it's because, again, he is Rashawn Gary, right? Um, a ball of potential, elite athlete, you know, Rashawn Gary, 993 RAS, uh, Trayvon Walker, 999. Again, there's, there's struggles. There's, there's stuff that happened in college that was not super fantastic. I was looking at Rashawn Gary. I think he's the only one on this entire... No, there's, there's two other guys. His, his um, sack percentage, when you look at true pass sets, was zero because he didn't have any sacks outside of, you know, as far as just true pass sets. I mean, just his pressures in general were really bad. He had a uh, 16% pressure rate, which is a 5 out of 10. He had a a 1 out of 10 with his zero sack rate. His uh, pass rush productivity grade, 4.3 out of 10. Win rate was a 5.7 out of 10. I mean, if it wasn't for his ability as a run defender, this guy would be really, really low on this list. But again, what did they see? They saw an athletic freak that we can teach. If you can teach him how to do this, that, or the other, teach him a little bit more on, on how to be a more refined pass rusher, that athleticism is going to carry him. And that's what you got with Trayvon Walker as well. I already talked about defensive tackle, and I didn't add, or maybe I did. Did I add? I thought I put uh, TJ Slayton in here. Oh, I did, but this is not right. I was going to say he's way at the bottom. That doesn't seem right. Um, TJ Slayton I added to my list out of 61 tackles, if this is even right. He is 36th which, you know, shouldn't be all that surprising. He's a mid-round um, nose tackle, but uh, he has one spot ahead of Jaden Peavy. Another thing I'm actually excited about doing is being able to find comps because it's not just where they rank, but it's in what categories. And so I think that's something else I'm going to work on is finding some actual solid comps based on what they did in college. Um, tight end, my tight end ranking is the one that I struggle with the most just because you know, really all it is, is I'm using my same wide receiver rankings and adding blocking and then trying to weight it a little bit differently, right? Maybe you're looking for, you know, you weight yards per route run a little bit less. Contested catch, maybe you want a little bit more. Missed tackles forced, maybe you bump up a little bit. You know what I mean? It's it's weird stuff like that. And then blocking is just blocking. I mean, all I really have is grades. The stats don't mean much because there's so many with like a hundred in terms of overall 
pass rush productivity because they just, out of three attempts, they allowed zero sacks. So it's like, yeah, 100%. I'm not using that. But as of right now, I have Isaiah Likely as my number one tight end. Um, my, my top three are Isaiah Likely, Jake Ferguson, and then Trey McBride. Uh, G- Isaiah is actually pretty close to an 80, 79.82. Jake Ferguson, 75.59. Trey McBride, 75.3, whatever. Of the other guys that are in the 70s, you got um, Charlie Kohler, Garrett Prince, Jelani Woods, uh, uh, Daniel Bellinger, Austin Allen. Those are the only other guys in the 70s. Jeremy Ruckert is, uh, I think, the consensus, like number two or three right now on the consensus board. I have him down at 14th. Um, I know JJ and all the other, other Ohio State guys, I think they kind of view him similar to what I said about Rashawn Gary. I think they understand that his metrics are not going to be great right? They're just not. His yards per route run is one of the worst in football, but that can be contributed when you run routes, but they just don't throw to you, right? You ran a route, you didn't get any yards. Yeah, because they didn't throw to you. Um, you know, his, his uh, contested catches are actually quite low. Missed tackle forced rate is quite low, although most of these guys are, um, you know, but even his, his blocking is pretty low, a uh, uh, 50 pass blocking grade. 68 run blocking is not the worst, but it's, there's nothing here that's, that's, really, really great. That's going to make me pull this up. So uh, the only other thing I added, I did put Josiah DeGuara in this list. Um, Josiah, I have ranking 12th out of my 65 tight ends. So he wasn't quite in that 70s group. He's got a 68.5. He is in between Greg Dulcich out of UCLA and Chigazium Okonkwo out of Maryland. Josiah was a guy that was just kind of average across the board. I mean, he had some low metrics as far as contested catches and whatnot, but everything else was pretty average. He didn't really excel in anything other than being for a relatively big school. And then finally, wide receiver. I did talk already about wide receiver, but um, my rankings have such have since uh, been slightly altered as well as a few other RAS grades getting plugged in. Um, we do not have uh, Jamison Williams, for example, but um, I will say that I have Six wide receivers with an 80 overall grade. In order, I have Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, George Pickens. Now, George Pickens, I'm going to have to change um, because he only played four games. So some of these ratings are a little bit inflated. So I'll probably have to go back and and take his 2020 numbers a little bit and kind of change that. But I mean, based on the little bit we have, George Pickens was high. But that's a little inflated because his contested catch rate is 100%. His drop rate is zero because, you know, again, smaller sample size. But then I have James Williams at number four, Wandale Robinson at five, and Sky Moore at six. Chris Olave doesn't come in until seven. Uh, I know a lot of people, well, that's ridiculous. Well, I can show you his missed tackles are really, really low, which is, again, a lot of people expect that, but fine. Yards after the catch, incredibly low. Yards per route run is incredibly low, which is a pretty big metric. I mean, it, it just is. I mean, even his drops, I mean, it's, it's a 7.8 out of 10, but everybody above him is higher. You got uh, nine, Sky Moore is nine. Uh, you got eight, tons of eights and nines with all these guys above him. I mean, the, the bottom line is there really aren't a ton of areas where he excels. Even his 121 passer rating when targeted, um, there's only two guys that he's higher than, and one of them is George Pickens, who again, doesn't even count. Sky Moore is higher. Jamison Williams is higher. Garrett Wilson is higher. Traylon Burks is higher. So, I mean, there's there's no metric. I mean, his, his receiving grade is a 79. His offensive grade is a 79. There's nothing here. I mean, he's still seventh out of um, 67. It's still high. But based on what I'm using, there's really just no metrics that I can use to make him higher. 
And Drake London also is not very high on this list. Um, again, this is all subject to change. I'm kind of flying through this quickly just so I can get it done. And then I'll work on refinement to try to see, you know, what am I missing? But um, again, just based on the metrics, some of these guys, there's just nothing I can do to bring them up. As far as guys to maybe keep an eye on, um, Jareth Stearns out of Western Kentucky, currently ranked 212th. He does, it is a smaller school, kind of a guy or whatever. So that's going to play into it a little bit. But he's, he's got some phenomenal metrics. That'd be worth checking out. Um, I do have Alec Pierce after that. Tyquan Thornton is after that. Jahan Dotson, John Metzi, Drake London. So kind of just down the line is everybody. So the only guy that's kind of in this mix that you that isn't like a first or second round prospect is Jareth Stearns. Um, and again, he would drop if I weight these things a little bit heavier, but they're still weighted pretty heavy. So he's overcoming that with just phenomenal grades and, and really solid stats across the board. Um and he, he played a ton, so it's not like his 2% drop rate is based on a small sample size. He played 14 games, um, you know, 135 passer rating, uh, just kind of, again, across the board. And again, I don't have his RAS, so if he's got any level of athleticism, this is going to raise him up. Obviously, it goes down also if, uh, you know, if, if it goes down. Um, finally, though, Amari Rogers, I did plug into this. He wasn't as low as I really expected. He is 20th out of 67. So not terrible. He's right in between Calvin Austin and Romeo, Romeo Daubs. He's got a 75 overall grade. So as of right now, I've got, again, just as a recap, seven, or excuse me, six wide receivers in the 80s. I have uh, zero tight ends in the 80s, although Isaiah likely is, is close. And if I tweak the rankings a little bit, he would get there. Um, as far as defensive tackle, I have four of them in the 80s with Curtis Brooks out of Cincinnati being very close at an 87 overall to being in the 90s. Um, edge rusher, I have Aiden Hutchinson at an 89. Again, at various times, he's been at 90. So you can maybe say I've got one guy in the 90s at Aiden Hutchinson and then uh, another five or so in the 80s. At linebacker, nobody in the 90s, nobody in the 80s. Cornerback, we've got two guys in the 90s. So currently, my two highest graded players are Ahmad Gardner and Derek Stingley. And then I've got another one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, minus Eric Stokes and Jair Alexander. So five other guys in the 80s. And then at safety, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, minus Darnell Savage is six uh, safeties in the 80s, none in the 90s. And again, the, if, if you listen to the rankings, you say these are stupid. I mean, you got a lave, whatever. But generally speaking, all of my top guys are usually the first and second round guys, with the exception of a few that I've told you, go check them out, because for some reason, they're really high on here. So as much as it seems like a, a futile exercise and kind of silly, I mean, they, they do line up, you know, again, out of 51 guys, I've got the, the top six listed as, you know, the top five are in my top six. Let's put it that way. So, um, and again, Darnell Savage, uh, Eric Stokes, and Jair Alexander would would stack up quite well against this this group here. So I've got to do offensive line and offensive line quarterback, running back, and then I'll add in you know Jordan Love, Eldon Jenkins, those guys. See where they rank. We can look at that maybe tomorrow as well as get to a few more questions. If you are a patron, you want to ask some questions, or if you aren't yet, you can join in and uh, just drop it in there, and I will try to get to that tomorrow. I think tomorrow is going to be a little bit later. Um, I do want to get the uh, meetings and all that stuff done, but I, I really feel like I need to get some extra sleep. I neglected that last week, and I think it kind of hurt me. I want to be able to catch up a little bit, so probably be a little bit late tomorrow, but there will be a podcast, so be patient. Otherwise, you guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>